Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we are broadcasting from the top of the Haven Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. And you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. And we're live streaming now, so you can hear our show Anywhere in the city, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Again, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're blessed and favored to have uh, local activist O here with us. Welcome to our show, O. What's up, K.A.? Welcome, welcome. Strong brother here. Uh, Brother's part of Breeway. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we start, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, a case that's going on. Uh, 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 John Fitzgerald Johnson, also known as Grandmaster Jay, you know, he brought the NFAC to Louisville to support Breonna Taylor and was uh, arrested and charged federally uh, for uh, pointing a rifle at, uh, allegedly. Uh, uh, We are... This is a letter. Uh, well, the situation was he bought the NFAC, which is sometimes referred to as a uh, black militia, to Louisville to support uh, the cause of Breonna Taylor. Uh, uh, there was some folks on the roof uh, above uh, uh, downtown Louisville, 6th and Jefferson. Uh, 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 it seems that Master J pointed his rifle at the roof to observe, observe who was on the roof, and uh, uh, the police charged him with threatening. Uh, so that's sort of a basic summary. You can Google and find out. Uh, uh, so uh, this is a letter that was written by the uh, Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Uh it was sent to uh, District Judge Benjamin Joel Beaton, Gene Snyder Federal Courthouse, 601 West Broadway, Room 200, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, 40202-2227. And this is from the Board of Directors of the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. Uh, we are writing to you regarding the case of John Fitzgerald Johnson, also known as Grandmaster Jay. Grandmaster Jay is not a criminal has, and has committed no crime. He is not the leader of a criminal organization. Grandmaster Jay and his organization are focused on making the point that black people have the right to bear arms and the right to assemble with arms. There is no valid comparison between Grandmaster Jay his organization, uh, in the NFAC, uh, no comparison between Grandmaster Jay, his organization, and the Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, Three Percenters, and the Ku Klux Klan. The Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, Three Percenters, and the Ku Klux Klan were created to act violently and to commit crimes. The only reason Grandmaster Jay was charged with crimes is because some authorities fear armed black people assembling. After being filed, the charges should have been dismissed months ago. 
Grandmaster Jay and his organization came to Louisville to support the cause of Breonna Taylor. That cause has been validated by the support of thousands of people all over the world. He came to Louisville for the right reason and must be respected for that. We ask for a judgment of acquittal notwithstanding the verdict. As the court must conclude, the evidence as a whole, taken in the light most favorable to the prosecution, is so inadequate that no rational jury could ever find that the defendant's guilt was proved beyond a reasonable doubt. John Fitzgerald Johnson, known as Grandmaster Jay, has committed no crime and therefore must go free. And that's from the Board of Directors of Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. That is a letter that was sent to District Judge Benjamin Joel Beaton, uh, Federal District Judge Gene Snyder Federal Courthouse, 601 West Broadway, Room 200, Louisville, Kentucky, 40202-2227. So if other folks want to send letters, now would be the time. The Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression has released another letter that was sent to the Attorney General of the United States, uh, Merrick Garland, and uh, Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark, United States Department of Justice, 950 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20530-0001. This is from the Board of Directors of the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression to Attorney General Merrick Garland and Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark. We want to thank you for bringing the United States Justice Department to Louisville to prosecute police officers involved in the killing of Breonna Taylor and other police officers accused of abusing citizens. In the case of Breonna Taylor, the local Commonwealth attorney recused himself and the Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron not only refused to do his job, but we believe committed prosecutorial misconduct in the way he handled the case and in particular the way he dealt with the grand jury. The grand jurors themselves claim they were misled, lied to, and lied about by Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. Attorney General Cameron intentionally framed the case in a way that prohibited very pertinent evidence from being entered into the court record. Prosecutorial misconduct occurs when a prosecutor intentionally breaks a law or a code of professional ethics while prosecuting a case in a way that impairs the integrity of the grand jury proceeding. We believe that Daniel Cameron committed prosecutorial misconduct in his handling of the grand jury in the Breonna Taylor case. We ask that the Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron be held accountable for his behavior by the United States Department of Justice. And that letter was sent to 
uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland and Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark by the Board of Directors of the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, which is headquartered right here in Louisville, Kentucky. Man, you know what's crazy about like the nature of these two addressings is that it deals with, and it's, it's very particular the way they say it, it's prosecutorial, uh, it's prosecutorial misconduct. But when you say prosecutorial misconduct, that's also, you can equally say, look, you can commit misconduct by not understanding or perhaps not being in compliance with the updated version of a law if there's like a certain technicality. Like you can misconduct yourself in a, in a failure that is like an accident, right? And that's the thing about like attorney generals. These are people who have the ability to look at black people, to look at Latinx people, to look at white people, to look at poor people, particularly when they look at poor people, when they look at women, when they look at single mothers, when they look at when they look at anybody, they have the power to bring the weight of the state's judgment or dismissal when the person in like involved is trying to seek at the very at the very minimum justice or at the very least you know an opportunity to defend themselves in a courtroom when it comes to things that they've done but in in, in knowing that Daniel Cameron cuz we know like we know we watched and we listened people here like every publication like no nah, dude your story is changing so if he committed misconduct, it's just the same as those four LMPD officers who committed fraud by not declaring that they were in some garage trying to get their story straight, all after the fact. Like, it's the same thing. And it's not that I'm sick of it so much as it, it's inappropriate. Y'all shouldn't, if you, if you fumble the bag like that on purpose, you're not for team us at all. So what you're saying, whether Daniel Cameron did it wrong by accident or on purpose, it's equally uh, problematic. It's equally problematic because this is somebody who has the power over individuals. And let's also be clear about this. Um, I am not from this city. I am not from this state. So when I look at the situation, bro, I moved here like, what was it, November of 2019. Everybody told me, man, the winters here are terrible. It's going to snow. It's going to sleet. And then you're going to see how we really like to drive out here. Don't worry. Go ahead and just 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 hunker down or fly somewhere nice. Come back, take pictures, tell them all on Facebook. And but they said like by the time it's Derby and Thunder over Louisville, they said, man, you're gonna love it. It's summertime. But what happened? Twenty freaking twenty, baby. And it's just and it was my fault. So um, one of the things that we must bring up that is. Uh, both those letters had to deal with the Breonna Taylor case. And there was a whole new generation of activists who came to the forefront uh, in Louisville around Breonna Taylor and was very much needed. And that is you, of course. And it was also Chris Wells, who just recently passed away. Uh, And so... We want to say a few words about that brother. Uh, uh, the brother was only 33 years old. You know, we just had a, a very nice funeral for the brother, and the church was packed. But, you know, it's, it's just sad that, I mean, no matter how packed the church is, the brother was only 33 years old. So, but there was a whole new generation of leaders. He was one, oh, you one too. But one of the things that Chris Wells uh did he he did help organize a lot of marches he he sort of worked with a, a, a like a whole new generation of 
black male and female leaders to help structure uh, the months and months of activity at, at Six and Jefferson, which uh, folks uh, began to call Injustice Square Park. or uh, uh, And then there was, so Breeway, which of course means different things to different people. Uh, uh, it's kind of a concept, it's almost a spiritual concept. Uh, uh, B-R-E-E-W-A-Y-Y, uh, I believe is how most people s- spell it when they write it. So, yeah. did you want to say something about Chris Wells and just what his gener- his new generation of leadership meant and his passing and, and, and what that's all about? Man, uh, you saw my face. You So, you and I, we attended the uh, that homegoing service and Man, like I don't like I don't know what my face looked like in that moment, but uh, it was it was something, right, to see a bunch of us gather together again, knowing that like around town and with people I love, things aren't good. Um, grief is really grief is really personal, right? And the thing about that is is that it's personal because it's us. And when we deal with us, we have to deal with where we are in that moment. Like day to day, black people, black men, black women, black children are going to be hearing and inviting and being and having to navigate like this culture, this city, this system, this sentiment, this social acumen, this lack of justice, these uh, these bullets, these robbers. We, we have to navigate all of that as the black person in the situation from that posture like you can do one of three things you cannot you can just not try and do too much but that sounds like your soul is still that makes you feel like smaller the very least it like makes you like i don't know it reduces who you are as a human being and as a culture like we we're like we we got big energy all the way equally speaking like you can go out and just like eventually especially as men do like i'm 34 years old i'm real glad i've not turned really really bitter over something but i think i'm about to over chris and i say that like owning the fact that my mental health like where i am with this emotionally is difficult i'm not from here but like it was hard for me to listen to my cousins to my father to to my aunts like go brother you still there yeah, and I, and I look at that, and so Chris is like, bro, you've got to do everything you can for Louisville because you're not from here. And I'm like, okay, but say that to me again. He's like, no, because you're not from here, it means that you have to work with us in a way that means you have to just be here for us. And in the same way, the people who are from here, those of you who know what's going on in this city, you can just talk to your parents. You can literally call your uncle right now or your grandmother if you're blessed to have them still in your life. Like, you can ask them, and they will tell you how this thing goes forward. But we are the people, we're a generation of people who have to like just show up and be like, okay, I'm grown now. I have the time to go out here and make some change for my city, for myself, because nobody else is trying to make change. Or at the very least, if they are making change, it's like because money is involved. Well, I'm, it, sick of it. Like, well, I'm just sick of it. And it's not fair. But at the very least, I know that I'm doing everything I can right where I am because when black people move through this country, when we move through. Man, it's a different kind of it's a different kind of hate that they put on like the the particular spin on wherever you go, but when we live in such a way where we have when we have each other's backs, 
and we're and when we learn what it means to have each other's backs and when we learn what it means to fail and then readdress that so we can do better right like what else are we going to do all other options save what i've just described for me ain't worth it so it's interesting too uh reverend seymour uh I don't know whether he said it from the podium, but he said it to, and maybe said it to me after. He said he felt that, talking about the new generation of leaders, he talked about there are certain people who didn't come to Six and Jefferson because they couldn't be the leader, the leader. And that was just an interesting thing for him to say. Uh, I kind of felt one of the best things about Six and Jefferson was the development of new leaders uh, to me. Uh, I was so happy to see a new generation of people who cared so much that they would come to Six and Jefferson and either stay or march. I mean, everybody at Six and Jefferson did march. Some people marched and, and, and took part in activities at Six and Jefferson, and some people did one or the other, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, but to me, I was just excited. And not only that, uh, I, I, my hope was that, uh, and still is, that the folks that became active for the first time in 2020 would stay active because the truth is a lot of the older leaders are, are burnt out or worn out. And actually a lot of times older leaders, uh, uh people have been around for a long time are actually carried along by the energy of new leaders. And because you need energy for a movement. Uh, That's exactly the principle of how waves operate, right? Like, the water is the substance. The movement is the gravitational pull that we have towards something, right? And to the degree that the swell of a wave can sometimes cap off and, like, the fold over is, like, the we'll call it the event horizon of the wave, where all that water, all that substance is, like, pure humanity. But the pull and the push is, like, us wrestling with the senses of identity. Now, a wave is a wave. It don't feel anything other than being a wave. I don't even think it thinks. But if it did think, it would think I'm a wave. So the the movement is going to happen. Who we are in that moment and how we exist as it comes and as we're called to it, as we go along with it, as it begins to go forward, and as we start to take slower steps or maybe fewer steps, then we're pulled along behind it. It, there's no there's no escaping it there's no escaping it at all and ignoring it just seems foolish but it's difficult it's really difficult so uh and i think too we need to check up on each other i mean i think the last time i spoke to chris was at six in jefferson it was uh at the announcement of uh uh, the same day that Merrick Garland uh, announced charges and, and Kristen Clark announced charges against Louisville police officers in the Breonna Taylor case. And uh, the family did a media event early. And then, you know, quote unquote, Breway did an event later on in the evening. Uh, and he, he said, I mean, it was a joyous occasion. But Chris Wells said that he, you know, that, you know, it lost everything because of the movement. Uh, but I didn't yeah. interpret that as meaning he was going to 
you know, check out anytime soon. I just didn't interpret it that way. Uh, and, that's a, and that's the thing about it, right? Like, let me, let me say this very clearly. I am in no way, shape, or form a mental health expert. What I am is an expert on the truth. And sometimes, culturally speaking, and as, uh, I guess it's more of a cultural, like, you know, way in which we imbibe it. Like, but, bro, like, half the time when my friends are like, yo, man, some days I'm like, ah, Whatever uh means, you might be smiling at that, you might be laughing at that, you might, uh, and you might cry with that, and you might have a person who's like, does that like with you, because sometimes we will let something slip through, like sometimes I'm like, yo, I'm ready for somebody to take my head off, and by that I mean it's Monday, by that I mean it's Monday, like, oh, I don't want to be here, but sometimes I say that knowing exactly what I mean, right, do I mean to like evoke those violent images or like that the gore of what potentially could be like attempts or at the very least successful suicide no but i've thought about it and i've thought about it in the sense that like i've had to deal with people falling off just as young as younger than me and i was 15 years old 16 years old 17 years old and now i realize that the cops look at me crazy like it's something to be a black male a black young male and go from like the age of you're a kid to what is he doing? So uh, talk about, I just want to mention, bring up something for many, many years in America. The black suicide rate was very, very low compared to white people. And the reason yeah. it was so low is because black people were used to suffering that we were, uh, and I mean, the old folks used to explain it by saying uh, you can't jump out of a basement. Uh, and uh, in other words, we were used to suffering. And uh, for instance, you know, during the Depression, you had white people who lost their money. They were jumping off the top of the building because, you know, their so whole sense of self was uh, wrapped up in having money. And since they didn't have any, they jumped off a building. And, but we, we didn't have things, you know. And also, I mean, there are studies that show that at one time, black male self-esteem in high school was actually higher than white male self-esteem. And that's, this is because... Be on this one. But the reason I do this is because my dad tells me about this all the time. And he's 82. So shout out to elder, shout out to every elder, and shout out to wisdom if you keep it. All right. But what he tells me is that with respect to what we could hold, you've got to think about it. My dad is 82 years old. He had formative uh, life core building years set in his mind and in his soul pre-1965. Right? That man knows what a lynching looks like because he and his brothers have happened upon one. Not one in prep, like not not one as it happened, but the results of it. And I'm not going to describe this in any particular way because when he did, he said, "I'm going to describe this to you once, and it's never going to leave your mind." I'm only going to give you this description because if I could put its sight in front of you, I tear my eyes out and yours out as well, because I don't want to ever see that again. Interestingly enough, the United States has put very, very little, very, very little. Uh, you know, interest in dealing with what have been, as described and as some confirmed, lynchings, or at the very least evidence of lynchings, of black men and black women in various portions of our country. In 2022, 
again, I am not saying that they have happened. I'm not saying that I'm, I have like any information. I'm saying I know what the truth is when I hear it. I hear it all over this country, kids. And yes, we've been able to deal with a whole lot, but as a country, as and I, it doesn't matter whether you're white, black, whether you're uh, indigenous, whether you're gay, trans, everybody is going through it. Also, our government is putting the world through it. So what's really coursing through a lot of us is us knowing as black people, we know what's going on here and we know how, forgive me, white people sometimes want to come to you like, man, it's not about this, it's about this. I'm like, yeah, but you're not even free enough to use open language so you can be rid of all these terms and these conditions that have you and me in a terrible situation. And yet I'm the one looking at y'all and be like, yo, you claim to be free and yet you're not even free from this situation. So don't play with me. And now I'm looking at this generation coming up behind me, they're big mad and I get it. Because I'm of, a, I'm of an age where some of my friends who had kids, like while they were kids, 14 and 15, I'm not saying they're bad parents, I'm saying they were failed and they had a child in front of them and they had to do everything they can while the rest of the world looks down on them for mistakes that they had a part in. I'm not saying they made mistakes because a lot of times as kids, mistakes are made on us. We're, we're resentful. We carry that all in forwards, but there's something to be said about addressing this thing and then having people around you and being like, yo, we can do something about this together. And then we learn how to do it better and better and better and better. Otherwise, we're just left to their whims and they don't think of us well anyway. So, uh, and so uh, uh, black male self-esteem was higher in high school because white male self-esteem was linked to being captain of the football team, being on the National Honor Society, having a car to drive to school, dating a cheerleader, dating the captain of the cheerleaders, you know, white boy stuff. And so if, if white boy self-esteem was almost mandatorily low if you didn't meet these markers. I mean, if you weren't on the team, if you weren't dating the cheerleader, if you weren't in the right club, you didn't drive, have a car to drive to school, you had low self-esteem because that's just the way white society was set up. Uh, and, if, and you can also, and you can only imagine what it's like to have been a member of that demographic and been like, oh, wow, I got beat for that position or it used to be me. And they're like, because if, if you don't get it, then you're just not, it's, they're not cool. But if you had it and you lost it. Oh, your self-esteem would drop right off. And so, well, but, not drop, it would be yanked. Exactly. <laughs> Somebody yank you for your, oh, bro, your self-esteem was stole up right up off you. Man, get out of here. So historically, black people, black males, because they didn't have a lot, their self-esteem was linked to their relationship to their family and their community and not to things they had or didn't have. So yeah. historically, black male self-esteem was higher. Now, what the studies show is that that has changed. That is, the suicide rate of black folk and black youth has gone up and the self-esteem markers have changed uh, over time. So it's different than it was 50 years ago as far as black male self-esteem. It's different. Our relationships with our communities, our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our and particularly like black men's relationship with family with respect to like the prison population as it sits, because while there is a prison population at its height, it is only there in those numbers due to a white supremacist government. 
who through the departments of the police, the uh, departments of justice, courts, you know, all these various le uh, levers that like they pull at the whim of their, uh, you know, disposition towards us. And also like this, this is not something that like we don't talk about. You might be lying about it, but you know, I, there's no reason to because the truth is already bad. There's plenty of evidence that's here, here in Louisville, what we are literally talking about, how the going after quote unquote crime and the execution of quote unquote justice leads into the death of quote unquote, you know, people who deserve a life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. No, none of it. Yet they posture and they demand the, posi the position and privilege to talk down to us. I'm like, yo, show up at the square. I'm not saying we're going to do anything except call you a liar to your face. Don't be on the news behind some screen talking about the very citizens of this city like they don't know what's really going on. So far removed, and yet you share the same area code as me. That's foolishness. So, folks, we're here with O, a local activist, uh, uh, talking about a variety of of issues uh oh we want to thank you for being here with us and this is on the edge with ka owens be back next week